please uh, turn in your copies of God's Word to the book of James. We're going to continue to uh, meditate on this book and see that all that uh, Pastor James, this pastor from the early church in Jerusalem, all the things he had to say uh, to that church there in the surrounding area. Today we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. But we're going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter, so because this discussion, of course, is uh, continuing on. He, he opens talking about trials, and, and um, that, that subject uh, continues to move forward. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's come before the Lord and pray. Lord, we have read your word in your hearing, and we would ask now, Lord, as we meditate on your word, you would apply it to our lives. Lord, you know the lives of each and every one of us. They are so different and varied varied in age, varied in circumstance. Uh, But Lord, you are wise. We'd ask that you would take this, your word, that you would search our hearts and that you would apply your word. 
Lord, we are looking to you for a miracle of sorts. Lord, we are looking to hear the voice of the Almighty. Lord, would you come and would you speak to each and every one of us? Would you speak to us as a whole? We would ask that you would make your presence known for your own glory's sake. We'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you are familiar with the name Joni Erickson Tata, and that's um, for good reason. Well, Joni uh, was born in Baltimore, Maryland, the youngest of four daughters, and her parents were Christians, but she remembers coming to faith on her own when she was 14 years old. And so she shared her parents' faith, but it wasn't just her parents' faith that she shared. She was also athletic like her parents. And when she was 17 years old, she went to the Chesapeake Bay and she misjudged the depth of the water. She dove in, of course, the way you dive, only to have her head uh, snap back because of the shallowness of the water. And she says she heard a crack And this uh, resulted in a fracture between her fourth and fifth vertebrae, and she became a quadriplegic uh, person, paralyzed from the shoulders down from that day forward. And Joni says um, that after her accident, she came to a point of deep depression. You could understand that. I'm sure she had so many hopes and dreams about what her life um, should be, what it was supposed to be in her mind. And, and in an instant, everything had changed for her. She says she was angry and she was depressed. And she says, then came the suicidal thoughts and the religious doubts. But she says that in her moment of desperation, God used his word to speak to her. And she came to realize that she needed to correct her thinking. God had great plans for her. Plans, she says, to heal her, though not from quadriplegia, but for deep healing of her soul. Similarly, in in our passage, you learn that Christians shouldn't respond to trials or temptations by blaming God but by acknowledging him as the source of everything good. That's what we see in this passage. You learn that you need to guard your thinking. You need to guard your thinking. And you can see that in verse 16, can't you? Look at what James says in verse 16. He says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. You need to be careful. Be careful about your thinking. What does this text say about responding to trials and temptations? What is it that you need to remember? The first thing you learn is that you need to remember God blesses those who persevere. That's our first heading. Remember, God blesses those who persevere. And we talked a little bit about that last week. As James opens the book, he wastes absolutely no time in diving right into the topic of trials. He wants the church to persevere through trials. And that generation, he 
was speaking to had many of them. And he wants us to discover the promises that we can count on. And and we talked about that, those three promises that we saw in the opening verses. We learned that God uses our trials, the trials that we experience to mature us spiritually. And we also recognize that God says that he will provide us wisdom so that we can work through those trials And the third thing we came to realize is that we needed to look at our trials with an eternal perspective and remember our inheritance as the children of God. In verse 2, James talks about trials of various kinds. And and we talked about that. Um, There can be trials that we face from both positive things and negative things. For instance, if you get laid off from work, uh, that loss of income is an obvious trial. But on the opposite end, you can get a promotion at work, and that might uh, land you with long work hours and tons of stress. Either one could be a trial. In verses 2 and 4, we learned that as we persevere through trials, God uses them to shape us into mature Christian Christians, but the focus is different in verse 12, isn't it? In verse 12, James says that those who persevere to the end will be blessed. He writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Well, this, this verse, it begins with a what we term as a beatitude, right? Or a blessing. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And we're familiar with that language. We're familiar with Psalm 1. That's how Psalm 1 reads, isn't it? And we also know uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It, It begins in that same way. The Greek word for blessed, it means happy in in ordinary speech. But the psalmist and Jesus and James don't have ordinary happiness in mind here. This is referring to a supreme, uh, irrevocable, supernatural, divine blessedness, eternal life. It's quite possible that some of the sick that some of the poor, that some of the exploited and persecuted Christians that James is addressing in this text, that they would never find the justice that they were seeking in this life. It's quite possible. But there is one thing that they could count on for sure. Every single promise that Jesus ever made will come true. Every single thing that the Word of God says will happen, will happen. It will happen. You can count on it. But first, Christians must persevere through the trials of life. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, James is 
obviously he's not talking about some kind of literal crown that you're going to receive. This is a metaphor. The crown of life is one of five crown metaphors that are found in the epistles. All of them refer to a perfect, unending paradise in the presence of God. Scripture speaks of an incorruptible crown, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, and the crown of life. These are all vivid metaphors pointing to the value and the beauty of eternal life and the perfect joys that Christians have been promised. Verse 12 describes the person who is going to receive this crown in two different ways, doesn't he? Um, He describes the people, uh, the first thing is that they are steadfast and persevere, but it also describes this person who receives the crown as those who love God. And the primary source of our endurance is often not just sheer will and determination, especially when it comes to our relationship with other people. You persevere in faith because you love God. That is why you persevere. Isn't love the primary motivator as you love your wife and as you love your children and as you love your friends? You stick with them through thick and and thin when it's hard and when it's easy at all times. When you love someone, it motivates you to endure. But maybe you say, Pastor Jerry, you don't understand. I am so weak. This trial that I face is not going to go away. It's not going to go away. And it's so painful, and I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. And I'm not strong enough for this. I know I'm not strong enough for this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. What if I can't persevere? Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will perfect it to the end. God promises that what he has started in your soul, he intends to finish. He not only initiates the Christian life, but he also empowers you to love him so that you will have the desire to persevere. You see, endurance to perseverance doesn't rest in your strength. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. As you endure the trials of this life, meditate on these promises And when rogue thoughts arise in your mind that contradict these promises, correct them. The word of God will not fail. When Christians respond to trials with perseverance, they will be blessed. It's imperative. It's imperative that you guard your mind. 
When trials befall us, we're often tempted to embrace inaccurate thoughts about our circumstances and the character of God. You need to remember God is not to blame. That's our second heading. Remember, God is not to blame. Well, let's face it. When everything is going easy, it's easy to talk about. Um, when everything's going great, it's easy, right, to talk about uh, what we shouldn't, should, and shouldn't do, uh, what we should and shouldn't feel. But when trials arise, the pressure we feel can be intense. The feelings, the emotions, the thoughts that go through our minds about how that issue ought to be solved, how you ought to just lash out, do something, nip it in the bud, right? In those moments, it's so important to view life through the lens of God's Word. When trials come, will you wilt or worship? The trials you face are a test to pass or a temptation to sin. And James says test, the test that we face can be taken in multiple ways. Some persevere to the end and they receive the crown of life. But sadly, other people collapse under the weight of their trials. Their faith falters and they doubt God's goodness and turn away from them. They blame God for their troubles. James corrects this error in verses 13 through 15. He wants you to be clear-headed about the character of God as well as your own nature. In verse 13, he writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Sometimes, when people experience hard trials, uh, they're tempted to think sinfully about God and their circumstances. They're tempted with thoughts like, God hates me. He's, he's not for me. He's out to ruin my life. God is not good. He is cruel. Don't believe these lies. Don't believe them. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Verse 13 continues, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, God never entices men and women to sin. To do so would be evil. No, God is holy and good. He's unable to be tempted evil, it it does not appeal to him. It's repugnant to him, abhorrent. God hates sin. He hates evil, and he hates suffering. And because God cannot be tempted by sin, James concludes, he himself tempts no one to sin. God has never tempted you to sin because he cannot. It's morally impossible then why do we experience trials? Why do we suffer? 
Why do we experience sin and pain and death? And the Bible is clear. God made this world good. And he charged the first man, Adam, to keep it that way. He warned Adam what would happen if he failed. Your forefather, Adam, brought sin and suffering and death into this world, not God. And do you know what Adam did once he failed and plunged us all into sin and misery? He blamed God. When God addressed him, Adam said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. If you're like me, you look at Adam and, and you shake your head, right? Maybe you want to talk to him when you, when you get to heaven. What did you do? But the truth is, none of Adam's children like to take blame for sin either. We all tend to make excuses and blame shift. We see it in the student who cheats He rationalizes, I had to. I had to. You put this professor into my life. What was I supposed to do? You see it in the person who is unfaithful, claiming their spouse was unlovable. We blame shift. We are sons and daughters of Adam. We're born into a broken and fallen world. And we're part of its brokenness. We, we contribute to it. The Bible says that we are born with a sin nature. Unlike God, we are attracted to sin. That's what James is getting at in verses 14 and 15. We're not tempted by God. We're tempted because of our corrupt character, because of our hearts. In verse 14, James writes, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Scripture says that each person is tempted by their own desires. When temptation arises, they are drawn away like a moth to the flame or like a moth to the light. It makes no difference whether we're talking about sexual desire or ambition or revenge or power or money or fame. When you're in the grip of desire, you tend to forget who you are. You quiet it down. You forget who God is and you tend to try to quiet your conscience. And James uses the familiar language of childbirth to explain how sinful thoughts and desires lead us astray. He says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, when trials come into your life, often temptation follows As you begin to calculate your circumstances, you might find an easy way out of that trial if you just cheat or lie, maybe maybe just a little white lie. 
Or, or maybe you can cover your tracks or, or blame shift the way Adam did. When Christians allow trials to turn into sins, they only have themselves to blame. Not God. Only themselves. It's so important. It is so important to guard your heart and your mind when trials enter your life. How will you respond? Will you filter your thinking through God's Word? And will you remember that God is good? When Christians are tempted with faulty thinking about the character of God, they must remember God is the source of good. That's our third heading. Remember, God is the source of good. Last spring, we were studying the book of Joshua. And you'll remember that one of the themes of that book was that you need, they need to be strong and courageous, right? That God said, be strong and courageous. What set before them was conquering the promised land. And what God wanted them to do wasn't easy by any means. They were charged with clearing out all of the nations of the land. And many of these nations were far stronger and more superior to Israel in all sorts of ways. But Israel relied upon God for victory, and he gave it to them. And after Jericho fell, the nations around, they started to get nervous And um, many of them started preparing to uh, come to battle when Israel uh, came to them. But the Gibeonites, they had a different plan. Do you remember what the Gibeonites did? They took, they got their clothes and their shoes and all their supplies and they made it look like it was worn out and old because uh, they wanted to make it appear as though they had traveled from some country that was far away. And they came to Joshua and the men of Israel, and that's what they told them. They said, we are from a distant country. And listen, we've heard about all the fantastic things that the Lord did with you guys, and we want to join you. Take us in as your servants. They talked Joshua into making a peace treaty with them. What they did was they lied to him. They deceived him. And Joshua failed to seek the Lord's counsel. Sometimes we're deceived by our eyes. Sometimes things are not as they appear. Oftentimes, our rationalism isn't enough. It's not going to work. And our feelings are often untrustworthy. We must always, always, always check our thinking against the Word of God. You should ask, what does the Lord say about this? In verse 16, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He warns his readers against blaming God or being wrong-headed about God's character or their circumstances. 
Some of the people that James are writing to had to flee Jerusalem because a great persecution had arose. You can read about that in the opening of Acts chapter 8. The persecution they faced caused some of them to begin to question God's goodness. Some started questioning their faith. James says, don't be deceived. In verse 17, he continues, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Right? James emphasizes the source of good. It's from above. It's from God. And that's because God is good. Don't be deceived. God is good. And he is the perfect gift giver. Verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God is not only good and the perfect gift giver, he's also the Father of lights. He's the creator. You remember those opening words of Scripture in the beginning. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And the entire universe came into being. Every planet, all of the stars. But that's not the only place the Scripture talks about God and associates Him with light. Scripture also says, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. When you're confronted by the challenges of life, remember who God is. He is good. He is giving. He has the power to speak the universe into being. And he is perfectly pure and holy. Verse 17 says that your God is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You can count on God. He is the one who doesn't change like shifting shadows. God does not change. There's no variation, no change in his goodness or character. He is truth. You can trust his word. You should embrace his promises. Humanity fell with Adam and Eve in the garden But God didn't leave us to our doom. God promised that he would send a savior, a rescuer, someone who would save us from sin and misery and death. Someone who would repair and mend our broken relationship with him. You see, God didn't just leave us to sit and linger here. He knows that the sons and daughters of Adam live in a broken world in a world that is not easy to live in. A world that is full of tests and trials and hardships. So the Father sent His Son to redeem, but not just to redeem from temporal problems. No, to truly, truly restore creation and to save a people for Himself. You see, God is good And James points his readers to the gospel as a proof of God's goodness. He points his readers to the new birth 
and redemption found in Christ. In verse 18, he writes, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. God decided not to leave us here to perish. Salvation is a work from start to finish. James says that God brought us forth. Jesus called it being born from above. Sinners are saved when they believe the gospel, the word of truth. And the New Testament uses the term firstfruits metaphorically to describe our new life in union with Christ. And if you are a believer, you know this. That's why James is pointing you to this. Because you've experienced God's goodness, forgiveness of sin, a clean and clear conscience. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've believed, you know the taste. You know the taste. You've seen that He is good. But trials can tempt you to doubt God's goodness. Don't be deceived. Hear God's word. God is good and the source of good. He is a gift giver. And His goodness will never change. James is writing to the church knowing that they are struggling through the trials of life, and that the trials of life test our faith. They demand answers. Where will you find them? And what will you say when you're tempted? As we looked at this text, we learned that Christians who respond to trials with perseverance will be blessed. God promises to crown them with eternal life. And we also saw that trials often test our faith. They, they become a test to pass or a temptation to sin. We should be careful not to blame God. Scripture is clear that God is good. He is the perfect gift giver. He can transform our trials and use them for our good. We talked about Joni Erickson Tata when we began, she's lived with quadriplegia for more than 50 years now. And having lived with it so long, she has seen how God has redeemed her accident and used it for good. He's used it to transform her soul. And he's used it to transform the lives of others who have heard her testimony her faith remains strong because she keeps her mind in sync with God's word and she depends on him for strength. Joni says, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength. Because I can't make it through the day. Christians shouldn't respond to trials and temptations by blaming God, but by acknowledging Him as the source of everything good. Guard your thinking. Amen.
Lord, we are tempted by the trials of this life. And boy, oh boy, do we need help guarding our thinking. Lord, you know that we tend to trust ourselves more than you. And that's a problem. Uh, Lord, we would ask that you would, for our sake and for your glory's sake, that you would continue to transform us. Lord, would you renew our minds? Would you transform our hearts so that we would trust you and so that we would depend on you so that it would be the habit of our life to think of you first, to come to you first, to depend upon you, not just with our mouths because we know it's the right thing to say, but because we believe it with every ounce of our being. Lord, would you help us? We'd ask that you would do a work in us. And we'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.